Well, hey, good morning, church. Thanks. Uh, if you're online with us, I want to welcome you. Also glad you could join us. I hope even though you're not here with us, uh, you feel like you're a part of this and that this is a, an encouraging experience for you. Uh, my name is Jake. I am the family pastor here. I want to welcome you. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning here in person. If you are newer with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Glad that you've chosen uh, to worship with us this morning as we kind of continue in this series, More Than Forgiveness, where we're looking at and understanding that the life that God has for us because of the death and resurrection is more than just let's get our sins forgiven and go to heaven. That we can actually live an eternal and abundant life now here on earth and we don't have to wait until uh, we go to heaven. And so we've, we looked last week as, as this, idea of forg- or this idea of repentance and how repentance is the doorway and the pathway of a follower of Jesus. That it's not just a, a one-time thing that we do, that we repent of our sins and we move on, but it's an ongoing kind of thing that we engage in repentance time and time again. It's the doorway and it's the pathway, right? And so it's this idea that we are willing to change direction. When we're genuinely wanting to follow God, we're going to be willing to change direction, to turn towards something, right? And so we have this idea of more than forgiveness, this, this life that's offered to us. And as I was processing that, I thought about my oldest son, so my oldest son, Xander, he, he's going to be eight in a couple weeks, and uh, he's captivated by the game of baseball. Loves it. It started way back uh, when COVID hit, and it got nice enough. We were outside playing baseball for hours upon hours in the backyard to moving into experiencing t-ball, and he was excited to have a jersey on, to play on a field, all that kind of stuff, to now we're into coach pitch. But there's these times where Xander will come to me, and he'll be like, hey, Dad, did you see how far I hit that ball? Yeah, yeah, buddy, I saw that. Or, hey, did, Dad, did you, see, did you see me catch that? Yep, that was a good catch, bud. Way to go. Or did you see me, how, how far I can throw the ball or how fast I can run around the bases? Yeah, I see all those things. And as a dad, I, I, I'm thrilled to watch him experience this game, but in my mind I'm going, dude, just wait until you're older. Like, just wait until they're, like, this game has so much more to offer you. Right? You're going to be able to hit the ball further. You're going to be able to throw the ball farther. You're going to be able to catch better. You're going to be able to run faster. You're going to experience teammates and the bond of that and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just like, and there's these moments in, in our conversation with my son that I begin to cast this vision for him. Where he says, Dad, did you see that? That was pretty good, wasn't it? I say, yeah, buddy, but just wait. Just wait until you experience more when you're older, when you're bigger, when you're stronger, all those kinds of things. And I think if we take a step back, I think this is God's heart for you and I, that he looks at our life and he goes, man, there's more for you. Yeah, I've seen how you've done these things and those are really good and you're doing a good job, but that's not it. And God in this, the the creator of life looks at us and goes, man, there's just so much more for you to experience. And he has a heart for us to experience that abundant life now. And he casts a vision for us that we can be captivated by. And so my prayer this morning is that that would happen. That our hearts would be captivated of the vision that God has for us of what life could be. That it's not a a list of rules that we have to follow, but our hearts are captivated and we are 
we are energized to pursue the things of God at a, at a level we never have before because this vision that we have of what life could be is so captivating and so good. And so this morning as we continue in this series of More Than Forgiveness, that's my prayer, is that we would walk out of here just simply captivated of the life that God wants for us and what that means. And, it's, and it begins with that idea of repentance, the doorway and the pathway to continue on that road. And as I'm going to be talking about humility, we'll be looking at how humility is a part of this life. And so let's, let's pause and let's pray together. Jesus, in these moments, we just kind of quiet our hearts. We know that you are among us, that you are speaking to us, you are moving on our behalf for your glory. And so, God, for these, moment, these next few moments, I pray uh, that you would give us eyes to see, you give us ears to hear, and heart to understand where you are working in our life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be, if you have your Bible or an app on your phone or something, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start there, kind of jump around a little bit. Um, but Matthew chapter 18 is the story of Jesus and his disciples a little bit. And what has happened prior to this is um, the disciples have just seen all these amazing things that Jesus has done. Right? Just prior to this, there was an, a, a scene in which uh, Peter needed to pay the temple tax and they didn't have any money. And so Jesus tells them, hey, go catch a fish and then open up the mouth of the fish and in it was going to be some money to pay our tax. And this happens. Like, just imagine being a disciple and being exposed to that sort of thing consistently. That Jesus has this kind of, some kind of divine knowledge that says, hey, there's a fish that's got some money in its mouth, go get it. Right? Like, just, just crazy, wild things. And so we, we come to Matthew 18, and we start here in verse 1. It says this, about that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, before we, we jump on the, the original or the kind of the idea that the disciples just don't know what's going on, this is a silly question, like why would they ask this, don't they know, like come on guys, figure it out. Like, before we do that, let's just take a step back because here's, here's what I would like to submit to you this morning is that the disciples have seen this kingdom that Jesus is establishing and, he re and they've realized that it goes completely against the norm. Right? And so this question is simply a survival human instinct in trying to figure out what the pecking order is in this new kingdom. Right? We, like you and I, we do this all the time. And it's a survival instinct that humans have had from the beginning. It's helped us be to, become to where we are now. It's this idea of trying to figure out who's top dog. Like where do I, where do I fall in line here? And we do this, whether it's at our job and our relationships Maybe I'm, you know, number three or four on the list, or am I better than them, or whose, whose word has more weight, whose opinion has more, uh, uh, you know, weight to it, and all that kind of stuff. Like, we, we do this, and this is a, a natural human instinct of survival. It got us to where we are now. And so the disciples have seen this kingdom that Jesus is establishing and have realized everything that Jesus has done to establish his kingdom is totally and completely against what they're used to in the cultural norms of the day. And so maybe in their mind, they're going, oh no, now we got to figure out a new way to the pecking order. How do we figure out who's top dog here? Even amongst themselves, who, who do we listen to? 
Like, who do we follow? Right? And so I think this question is a good question and one that shouldn't just be dismissed as one that's like, now nah, the disciples, they just don't get it. Maybe they get it more than we realize. And maybe they're asking this question to, to kind of understand, like, how do, we, how do we operate in this kingdom? How do we find this pecking order, if you will? And so Jesus, in his, you know, uh, genius, answers them this way. He says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus' response to this question is to uphold a child. Someone in this day and age has no value and worth of their own. They don't, they don't have anything to offer. They, they haven't achieved anything. They don't have any experience. Yet Jesus upholds them as the greatest. So he takes the lowest on the totem pole and upholds them as the greatest. And he invites the disciples, if you read it and if you caught it, it says to turn from their sins, to repent, to change direction. Right? Pastor Brian talked last week about this. It, repentance is kind of this invitation. Right? Like if, if you're invited to someone's house, it's your job to choose to turn in. Right? You just don't go by. You're, you're choosing to turn in. And so this morning what I want to talk about, he goes on and then it says if you humble yourself. And I want to talk about what is the invitation of humility? What is the invitation of humility teach us. And I think there's two, two things here that we can um, understand as what humility invites us to. And it's this invitation, one, to fully depend upon God. Right? If we think about children and young children, right? It says that Jesus called a little child. We think about children, they are completely and utterly dependent upon their parents. From everything from food to shelter to making sure they're clean, all of it. They're, they are completely dependent upon their parents. And when we're called to be, to humble ourselves like them, then it's a call to have this complete and utter dependence upon God. Now, here's, here's the issue, is that in our day and age, we have elevated independence as kind of the greatest form of humanity, if you will. But let's just understand and realize that even if we are independent, we're dependent upon ourselves. And most of the time, we're dependent upon a version of ourselves that's not even true. That like we put up this facade and we, we trick others and we try to control and manipulate situations so people see us a certain way. And so we depend on that version of ourselves, but we don't actually depend on our true selves. The call of humility, the invitation of humility, is to depend on the one who will never change and is all true. Right? This call of dependence upon God is an invitation to say, come and depend upon him and to be well taken care of. But then there's also a, 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 another part to this, that it's not just about understanding that it's about changing direction, right? Just turning away, because what we have to understand is that when we change direction, when we turn to something, we are turning away from something else. So humility is not only an invitation to depend on God, it's an invitation to die to ourselves. It's an invitation to die to ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, says it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him 
to come and die. It's this, it's this turning that says, I'm not even going to depend on my own abilities, my own strengths or whatever. I'm going to turn and fully depend on the goodness of God. Paul teaches us this way in Galatians 2.20. Says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? And so it's this idea that we no longer depend upon our own abilities and our own our own skills to kind of provide for us and to live this kind of life. Right? That in ourselves, we are unable to give ourselves the life that is abundant, eternal, and fulfilling that God has for us. That it's only in turning, in the repentance of humility, to turn to depend upon God to give us this sort of life. And so we see this and we understand this, but we have to understand that this is a, uh, 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 an actual step. Like It actually means something. It actually means something. And what we kind of, within our context here, we, we kind of understand that and cast a vision for all of us in our mission statement. Where we say it, we are inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus, learning to live by faith, transmit hope, and be known by love. We believe that if we can wrap our lives around those ideas, we will live this kind of life. And so this morning, not only is humility an invitation to depend upon God and to turn and to die for to ourselves, it's also a catalyst because I believe when we learn to humble ourselves, when we learn to actually have humility, it will enable and empower us to live the kind of life that God has for us. That humility in and of itself is a repentant act that empowers and enables us to live this life that God has called us to. And humility can be a catalyst for these things. And so when we take our mission statement and we kind of unpack it a little bit, we understand that humility is a catalyst for learning. Humility is a catalyst for learning. You could read our mission statement this way, that, that we are inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus, learning to live by faith, learning to transmit hope, and learning to be known by love. Like these things are not like uh, uh, destinations that we get to, but they're a process that we grow into. That there will always be more to experience. There will always be more to understand and to realize. And so just simple question, how can we learn if we, anything if we think we already know it all? Right? And so it's about humbling ourselves and taking away the, the thoughts and opinions and things that we have about other things and go, I can't learn from that or I can't do that or whatever it may be. And to be able to humble ourselves before God and go, you know what, God, you may have something to teach me here. You actually may have, you may actually be working in my life to teach me something new, and I need to learn. And so as followers of Jesus, we become more curious than critical. We ask more questions than make statements. We're okay with the tension and the, 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 the gray of life and not so black and white. Right? Like we have this humility that goes, I may not agree, but I might actually be able to learn something. When we humble ourselves, it's a catalyst to learn. And a lot of times we approach Scripture and we approach God, especially if you've grown up in the church and you go, yeah, I know that. I know, I know what that means. I know what's going on. I know that passage. I know that. I know that. I know that. Maybe we need to take a step back and say, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything. 
maybe I need to learn something. Maybe I need to be curious. Maybe I need to start asking more questions. Maybe I need to be okay with the gray of life. But humility is a catalyst for this kind of learning. It's a repentant act. It's, it's, a, it's a repentant act that says we can actually engage in these things. And then next we think about humility as a catalyst for living by faith. We, we live and make our decisions based on a lot of what we see. We make decisions based on what we know and what we see, based on our, our bank accounts and our circumstances and our situations and our relationships and what we know and what we see. However, this call to live by faith is learning to live and make decisions in such a way that the things that are unseen, the things that, that Jesus teaches, that the best way to live, that we can actually uh, prioritize those things and live in that way, that it's not just about the world, the physical world that we see, but it's about living in such a way that, that trusts and believes that the ways of Jesus lead to eternal life. That it's not just about getting more or having more or whatever it may be, but it's about understanding and believing that God is who he says he is. And so when he says he will provide for us, we can let go of everything we see and go, you know, you know, I know, God, you've promised to provide for us, but I see something different. We can say, you know what, that's okay because I choose to trust and believe that God is who he says he is. We humble ourselves and go, maybe our, our bank accounts and our things and our stuff and everything that we see don't really matter as much as we think they do. But we take for, we take for um, uh, certainty that God is who he says he is. And so when he says he provides for us, we will trust and believe that. When he says he loves us, we will trust and believe that. Instead of looking at, uh, God, you said you'd provide for me, but uh, it looks like, ah, uh, not really. Or God, you say you love me, but I've done this and I've done that. It's like this call to live by faith is a call of humility that says it's not about just what we can see. While we need to pay attention to those things and know those things, that's not the determining factor in our decision-making as followers of Jesus. It says it this way in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Don't depend upon our understanding. Don't depend on what you see. Don't depend on what you know. To realize and understand that those things aren't as significant as what God says when he tells us that he will provide for us. And he tells us when, that he loves us or that he has um, our best in mind. We go on and we talk about transmitting hope. That humility can be a catalyst for transmitting hope. And you and I have all been gifted and blessed with different resources, skills, and abilities that we have. That God has, has, has made us in such a way that we have a part to play in this life. And we are able to transmit hope. But here's the problem is that sometimes we've understood transmitting hope is just about what we do. That our skills and ability are the thing that transmits hope. While that is a part of it, the truth is, is understanding that when God has our skills and abilities, that when he uses them, it, transmitting hope works both ways. 
It's this two-way street that when we offer to God our, our gifts and our talents and our skills and we engage and we act and we do that for other people, we find ourselves in something much bigger than just what we had to offer there. Right? That, that our skill and our ability is not God's gift to the earth, but it's, it's God using us and our dependence upon him that says, God, I have these skills and abilities and I have these gifts and these resources, and so show me how to use them. And when we use them in line with the way he wants us to, we find ourselves being blessed because we realize, man, life is so much more than just that. We find ourselves being blessed because we realize we actually have purpose and meaning and our life actually matters. This transmitting hope is a two-way street. Jesus teaches us this way in Matthew 5.16. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So it's not just about what we can do. It's not just about what we give or what we offer, but it's about using those things to, to let um, that, that praise to go through us and to God. It doesn't come to us and stop. We talk about that a lot, that, that blessings from God aren't just to flow to us, they're supposed to flow through us. Right? But he, when we humble ourselves before God and say, God, I have these skills and abilities and I want them to be used in your way, it's a catalyst for us to actually transmit hope. And the pressure is relieved that you don't have to give enough or do enough in order to transmit hope. But that you trust and believe that God will actually use your skills and abilities to transmit that hope. And in the same way, it's transmitted back to you. And then finally, we see humility as a catalyst for being known by love. Now, we think of being known by love as like relationally with one another. And I, 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 that's true, but I want to take a step back and realize that being known by love is how God knows you and I. And when we learn to humble ourselves before that, and we learn to uh, do the repentant act of humbling ourselves and turning towards dependence upon God, we can let go of the expectations, standards, and opinions we have of ourselves and actually receive the love of God. And we say, you know what, a lot of times we say, God, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I have these standards I haven't really lived up to, so I don't deserve your love yet. Humility says we can let go of those things and receive his love because we're turning on upon dependence upon him. Scripture teaches us in Romans 5.8. It says, but God showed his great love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our lives together. He didn't have any expectations, standards, or opinions of us in order for him to die for us. Is that he just simply unconditionally loved us. And when we humble ourselves before him, we can actually receive that. Instead of trying to live up to some standard or, or expectation or opinion that we've placed on ourselves, we can actually receive the love of God. And when we're able to do that, we can actually let go of those same standards and expectations and opinions of others, and we can actually love them for who they are and not who we want them to be. But it takes an act of humility that says, God, I'm depending upon your love, your unconditional love that doesn't require anything else. But simply your death and resurrection. And so we see humility as this, as this catalyst for this kind of life. 
And then finally, as we close this morning, I want to leave us just, just with one, one other passage. And it's, it's found in the book of John. And it's the story of John the Baptist. And he's baptizing people, doing his thing. And uh, his disciples come to him and say, hey, uh, Jesus is just like on the other side of the river, basically, baptizing more people than us. What's that about? And John the Baptist, in his wisdom, says, begins to explain to them, he's like, you know, I've never been, I've never been the Messiah. I always told you I wasn't the Messiah. I'm, I'm here to make the way for the Messiah. And Jesus is that Messiah. And I take great joy in his success, he says. And then he gets this line in John 3.30 and says, he, meaning Jesus or God, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Now, ultimately, this line is humility. Because what we have to understand and realize that while the things like li- learning, learning and living by faith and transmitting hope and being known li- by love are great things, they're great things, and they will, they will help us experience this life that God has promised us. But ultimately, when we, when we humble ourselves before God and we actually engage in turning towards dependence upon Him, and we live this kind of life, what we understand that it's not just about living by faith or transmitting hope or being known by love. It's about experiencing His presence with us more and more every day. That this is the life God calls us to. It's not one of like achievement and standard and whatever, but one that, that experience His presence. That we can actually be awake and alive to His presence in our everyday, normal, mundane life. That it doesn't need to be anything else, but we have to learn how to humble ourselves, repentant, hum- humility that turns us to dependence upon Him and, and, and death to ourselves so that we can experience His presence and His love. And when we do that, when He becomes greater and greater and we become less and less and we pray for things like wisdom and peace and comfort, we will experience those things more because we are more aware of His presence in our life. Because where God is, where He dwells, when He is with us, He will only bring things like peace and comfort and wisdom and love and mercy and grace. And so when we close here this morning, this idea of uh, more than forgiveness, see this life that Jesus offers us is a higher awareness of His presence with us. And when we learn to humble ourselves before him, we will grow in that, in that experience. And he will become greater and we will become less. Let's pray together. Jesus, in these moments, we just take a, a few minutes just to humble ourselves before you. We confess and repent of the times in which we think we knew it all. Of the times we've made decisions and that have just simply been based on what we see and what we know and we didn't take into consideration who you are and who you've told us that you are. We repent of the times that we've thought that our gifts and our abilities are, are the thing that which um, changes the world and, and gives hope. We realize we have a part to pr- play, God, but I pray that we would never consider ourselves being the one that's transmitting the hope, but that we, as we engage in the lifestyle you have for us, that we would you would use us in such a way. And then, God, we, we repent and confess the times that we have rejected your love because we think we haven't lived up to a certain standard in which we deserve it. So in these moments, we humble ourselves before you.
receiving this love, confessing that we don't know everything, and trusting in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.